Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can be together here and that we can learn from your word, from your truth that you've given us. Help us to be introspective about our own lives and help us to seek to see where you want to work in our lives. And thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we start, I just want to uh, give credit where credit is due. My son, Lucas. Sure. I don't think we need that. Oh, do we need that? Oh. I asked my son, Lucas, to help me out with a PowerPoint. I'm not real tech savvy. So um, there, there may be a little bit, a few surprises for you here. Okay, so... And he, actually, he when he saved it, he's like, Mom, what do, what do I save it under? I'm like, just name it something. He named it My Mother's Amazing Camp Forum PowerPoint. <laughs> so that'll, be, that'll give you a little clue of uh, what it's going to be like. Okay, on a little bit more of a serious note, um, we actually, um, we've based a lot of this forum on a book by Nancy Lee DeMoss called Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Makes Them Free. And there's also a young women's version, Lies Young Women Believe and the Truth That Makes Them Free. Very, very good books. Nancy Lee DeMoss is a very serious um, Bible teacher. She is very thorough and very conservative. Um, Okay. As we start the forum, I just want you to think about your life uh, for just a few seconds and um, think about if you're experiencing the abundant life that Jesus gives, or as sometimes as, as we women do, are you existing, coping, surviving, struggling? And we're not talking about a trouble-free life here. No, none of us have a trouble-free life. We all know that. Um, we all have things to deal with in our life, loss, illness, difficult relationships. But we're talking about having peace and freedom and joy in the midst of our difficult times. Um, none of us in our panel claim to have arrived. We're all still, well, God is all, still working on all of us. Um, so we don't have the answers to everything, but hopefully at the end we'll have a little bit of time to... Um, to do some sharing and maybe some questions. Uh, we might have to say we don't have the answers to your questions, but we're all learning together. Ladies, you and I have been lied to, deceived. And um, it all began in the Garden of Eden, the first home of Adam and Eve. Um, it was a perfect place. It was paradise. And it was all good. But Eve was approached by Satan, the father of all lies. And we know in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 how it says that he poses as an angel of light. He has all kinds of disguises. He knows exactly where our weaknesses are, and he's very subtle. He often uses half-truths and camouflages the lies. But Eve believed the deceiver's lies. And, um, you know, Satan cast just enough doubt on what God said to deceive her. He said, uh, did God really say? And she started believing him. Eve listened to the lie, and she thought about it. 
She turned it over and over in her mind. And we know what happens when women think about things. She believed it. And then she acted on it. And that lie turned her world upside down. And it turned our world upside down, too. Just think about the implications of that first lie that Eve believed. And ever since that event, women are particularly susceptible, susceptible to Satan's lies. We are here today to expose those lies. And we just want to share with you that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word, we can overcome the lies that Satan uses to deceive us. You may ask, what are these lies? Um, you know, when I was first encountered with this material, I thought, well, I don't believe any lies. I believe God's truth. I believe the word of God. But when you name them, you start realizing that you might just believe in them. Um, so sometimes we may be in denial a little bit, but God's spirit can work on us and show us the areas of our lives where we need to, um, to submit to him. Um, let's do a quick quiz to see what areas of our life we may be susceptible to, leaving, to believing Satan's lies. Are you relaxed or are you totally stressed out? Not right now, of course. <laughs> do you feel forgiven or do you feel guilty? Are you real or are you pretending? Are you happily married? And for those of you who are not married, do you um, feel good with your relationships? Are you um, in tune to the people that, with the people that you work with, with your family members? Or is there lots of tension in your relationships? Do you run to God or do you run to your friends? Are you content with what you've got or you've got to go shopping? Are you growing in Jesus, or are you just coasting in your walk with God? Are you walking in victory, or unable to overcome sin? Are you trusting God, or worrying? Are you content to submit, or are you angry with authority? And there's all kinds of authority in our lives. Um, we'll get into that area a little bit later. The first area of lies that we'd like to discuss are lies about God that we believe. Um, and this is very subtle. So um, the first lie is God is not really enough. When it comes down to it, we don't really believe that God can deal with our problems, my problems, my issues. Sure, we need God. All of us know that. But it's God plus close friends, God, plus husband, children, God, plus a job that pays enough, God, plus a house with a new kitchen and a fresh coat of paint. The truth is, God is enough. Psalm 73:25 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee? Do we truly believe that God is enough? Or do we look to other people and things to fill the empty places of our hearts? Vacations, hobbies, family, friends, shopping. 
The next lie that we'd like to talk about is, God doesn't love me. I'm not worth anything. This is a lie that we don't want to admit believing. We know we're supposed to believe that God loves us. <clears throat> but sometimes we just don't feel that God loves us. Okay, um, so sometimes we don't feel that God loves us. And as women, there's, there's sometimes a, a, a separation between what we know in our heads and what we feel in our hearts. Um, Brenda's going to be talking about that a little bit later, about the emotions and the lies that we believe about our emotions sometimes. Um, so when we're lonely and feeling unloved, our feelings tell us, nobody loves me, not even God. He may love the world, he may love everyone else, but he doesn't love me. Of course, we never say it out loud, but that's how we feel. The truth is that God's love for me is infinite and unconditional. He sent Jesus for me. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this. Then he lays his life down for his friends. And this is what Jesus did for you and me. This is what gives me worth also. Um, I just want to quote something here from the book about um, a quote that Hannah, Hannah Whittall Smith wrote. She was a woman who lived in the 19th century. She had a very, very difficult life. But she wrote some very inspirational writings. So this is about the love of God. Put together all the tenderest love you know, the deepest you've ever felt, and the strongest that has ever been poured out upon you, and heap upon it all the love of all the loving human hearts in the world, and then multiply it by infinity, and you will begin, perhaps, to have some faint glimpse of what the love of God is. That's beautiful. Um, next, we'd like to go into some lies that I believe about myself. And the first one is, I have my rights. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to be understood. I have a right to be loved. I have a right to a certain standard of living. I have a right to be treated with respect. I have a right to a vacation now and then. I have a right to a good marriage. Now, as good Americans and Canadians, um, I'm sure you have something very similar to our Declaration of Independence that tells us that we're entitled to certain rights. The feminist movement also tells us that we have rights. Of course, if our rights are violated, then we have the right to protest. We have the right to be angry. We have the right to take action. We have a right to insist on our rights. The fact is, though, that successful relationships and healthy cultures are not built on the claiming of rights, but on yielding of rights. When you drive on the road, you don't see traffic signs that say, you have the right of way, but you see traffic signs that say, yield. Life works best that way. The truth is, claiming rights will put me in bondage, and yielding rights will set me free. Psalm 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. We need to yield our rights to the Lord, who has a right to everything anyways. The next one we'd like to talk about is uh, physical beauty matters more than inner beauty. And at the end, actually, I have handouts of... Um, a bunch of lies and truths that um, 
include many, many more than what we're talking about today. So actually, maybe I'll ask someone to put them in the back so that we can have them later. Um, the next one is physical beauty matters more than inner beauty. This is a lie that our culture really emphasizes in the media, TV, movies, magazines, advertisements. And uh, it's not only to grown women, but to very young women, young girls. It starts very early. Um, Madison, my daughter, just turned seven, and we're turning to a new size in clothing. And, you know, going from the four to six X sizes that are so cute and darling and up to the 7 through 12, it's a big step and lots of trendy stuff. I hate going shopping for girls' clothes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's what our culture wants. That's what uh, our culture promotes. Um, now, if we go back to the Garden of Eden and think about Eve, she knew that the forbidden fruit was good for food and would make her wise, but... She saw also that it was beautiful. It was pleasing to the eye. Um, now, I mean, we, we want to say there's nothing wrong with appreciating beauty. God made things beautiful. God made so much beauty in creation and in creating us as well. Um, but with Eve, that beauty was more important than obeying God and trusting him. There's nothing with taking care of ourselves either. Nothing wrong with taking care of ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves. And um, uh, God makes us beautiful too. We don't have to make ourselves frumpy. But it's a matter of emphasis, a question of emphasis. Here's a simple test to see where your focus is. Today, did you spend more time in front of the mirror making yourself beautiful? Or in God's word, Developing inner beauty of character and heart. The truth is that the beauty that matters most to God is that of my inner spirit and character. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And uh, the verses in 1 Peter 3 also talk about the hidden man of the heart that God wants to nurture in us and the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So that needs to be our focus. Um, Martha is now going to talk about some lies that we believe about sin. A lot of these that I'm going to be talking about are, um, they're fact. You already know these. We've been taught them from the beginning. But what I want you to do today is to do what happened to me when I first started going through this list. I want you to think about your own life and the struggles that you have. And I want you to think about some of the things that are strongholds for you, or personality traits, or weaknesses, or whatever it is that is holding you back from having a free relationship with God. And think about those while I'm going through some of these, and it will put things into perspective. The first lie that I have is that my sin really isn't that bad, and I can get away with it. So think about these while I read these facts to you. Sin is dangerous, destructive, and deadly. It has consequences that are immediate or far into the future. Sin steals joy. It removes confidence. It brings guilt. It quenches God's spirit, and it breaks God's heart. 
It opens doors to more sin, and it breaks fellowship with God. It produces fears, and it makes me a slave to even more sin. I just want to share a story with you that I heard um, just a couple of months ago that shows how one little sin can get blown out of proportion and take you to places you never would have imagined. There was um, a childless woman in Chicago who, she was a born-again Christian, and she posted a fictional story on her blog, and she meant for it just to be for a couple of women to read, her family and her friends, and she wrote a story about how she found out that she was expecting a baby, and it had been diagnosed with a terminal disease before it was even born, and uh, how sad it was that she she's choosing um, to have this baby with the terminal disease even though she could choose abortion. The doctors advised her of that. And so she wrote this fictional post on her blog. Well, that night she had 50 comments from strangers about how sad this was, but good for her that she's standing up for, for um, pro-life and she's not going to abort this baby. And she thought, that, it was just a story. It was fake, but she kind of liked it. So she wrote some more, and she wrote more. For two months, she kept going on and on, building this story up. She had people, she had up to 100,000 hits a day on her blog, reading this terrible story of this single mom in Chicago going through all these troubles. People started holding fundraisers for her and sending her money, collecting things for her. Um, church groups were doing this as, as fundraiser projects. Um, women's ministry blog sites were linking her site to theirs. And there, I mean, there was just all of this attention to this woman. And finally, she, one of her last posts, she said, the baby was born, and it lived only a few hours, and how sad, and she showed a picture of her holding this baby all wrapped up in, in a blanket. And one of the readers looked at that and said, I have that doll at home. So she started commenting about it, and everybody else picked up on the fact that this was all a lie. And this woman finally confessed, well, it was just a story. I didn't mean for anybody to read it, but then it felt really good to have all this attention. So she kept going. And in the meantime, it not only affected her, her family didn't even know she was doing this. Um, all of these church groups that had sent her money, now she's got all this money and all these things that had been given to her. Um, and she finally did admit that it was not true. But that was one little lie that she could have stopped right away and said, wait, everybody, it's not true, it was fictional, you know, that was it. So truth, I mean, uh, sin can take us farther than we really mean it to go, and we need to be very careful with these sins that we think aren't really that bad. Um, in the scripture, we talk about truths like wasting time, worry, talking too much, complaining, overeating or overdrinking, overspending, selfishness, being self-absorbed, envy and jealousy, and a critical spirit, and there are many more that the Bible talks about. But I want to put that into specifics in our own lives, in our own words. 
Am I on the phone with my friends more than I am talking with my family? Do I have to go shopping to buy something to make me feel better? Are my conversations all talk about me and not listening to the other person that I'm conversing with? Must I read the latest, newest romance novel, even if it is Christian fiction? Am I snacking just because? Am I attending a church function with a predetermined decision to find fault? I want you to just think about things in your life that you have believed are lies, that you think are not bad. They're, they're just little sins, but they can take us farther than we mean to go. And the truth is that I will reap whatever I sow. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 tell us that. Um, I found this quote that I thought was really interesting, too. No sin is small. No grain of sand is small in the mechanism of a watch. So we may think it means nothing, and it's just something that will be overlooked, but it can be very destructive. The next lie, God can't forgive what I have done. And I know that for a lot of people, it's very difficult to accept the fact that God has forgiven what we've done. But the truth is that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover any and every sin that I have ever committed. 1 John 1, 7 says, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And he's thrown our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. How much farther can he do that? How much more can he forgive our sins? He has forgiven us. And the blood of Christ has washed away our sins. And we need to accept that and just believe it. And stop believing the lie that he can't forgive us. And continue to live with this guilt if he truly has forgiven us. 1 John 3.20 says that God is greater than our heart and he knows, knoweth all things. He already knows. He knows. We don't have to worry about holding on to these sins because he already knows and he's forgiven them. And so we need to just believe that truth. The next lie, I am not fully responsible for my actions. Oh, sorry. I am not fully responsible for my actions and reactions. And why not? Why are we blaming other people in other circumstances for our sins when we're the ones that caused them? We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to turn us around and to lead us out of that sin. We don't need to be blaming somebody else. We are responsible for our, for our actions and reactions to everything. The truth is, I am responsible before God for my behavior, responses, and choices. We can't blame that on anybody else. How about this one? I cannot walk in consistent victory over sin. Yes, we can. It's not always easy, but we can. We, are, we can walk in, in consistent victory because John 15.5 says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do it. We can. We hear stories of people who have given up smoking cold turkey or of uh, gay people who have turned their lives around and are not attack, uh, attracted to that anymore. It is possible, and we've done it ourselves. We know that. There are still some sins that we hold on to. We think that we, that we have to hold on to them, but we don't. We can allow the Holy Spirit to come in and take that away. I'm still struggling with that with things. Um, 
I know that a lot of you have those same issues too, that we think we can't give it up and we can't live in victory, but we can if we really allow the Holy Spirit to do that. The truth is that the cross of Christ is sufficient to conquer our sinful flesh. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I think he thought this was important. <laughs> the next one. I don't have time to do everything that I'm supposed to do. Yeah? I use that complaint all the time. I think Fred is tired of hearing me say that. But the truth is that through the power of his Holy Spirit, God can enable me to do anything that he commands me to do. Uh, I don't think I wrote this down. But there, there is a verse that talks about how Jesus... Jesus lived only 33 years on this earth. That's not a long time. A lot of us are way past that already. But God gave him the ability to do everything that he was supposed to do in those 33 years. He wasn't bogged down with all of the, the other things that sucked up his time. When you think about your daily schedule, we do need to do specific things. We need to take care of our families. We need to work. We need to do this. We need to do that. But what else are we sticking in there, or how much time are we spending on those things when we could be prioritizing our time? What I found to be the best thing for me to do is, and I'm finally learning this, but every morning I just have to ask God, here's my list, here's everything I have to do today. And I am so overwhelmed, I don't even know where to start. I'm spinning wheels because I don't, I don't even know what to focus on anymore. So you've got to show me what I need to do. And don't even tell me that you're showing me. Just point me in that direction and lead me to the things that, I, that are important, that I need to do, and the other things will fall into place, and somehow they always get done. Everybody has the same amount of time in a day, 24 hours. We don't have to try to be super women. We don't have to try to do everything. We need to do what God has asked us to do. The lie, I can make it without consistent time in the word and prayer. I see some reactions to that one. It's so easy to get up for me. When I get up in the morning, I've got a little bit of time before the house just explodes. And I try to get everything packed in that time before the kids are up and before my schedule goes down the drain. So I... I was trying to pack in everything I could in that hour or hour and a half before they would wake up so that I could at least say that I did something that day. We, we can't do that. We, we just can't. We can't do that because we're alive, but we're not living when we're just focusing on those kinds of things and not dealing with the, the, real, the reality that God needs to take control of our lives. You know how on a hectic day when you don't have time to eat and you're feeling your blood sugar drop and you're getting tired and you're wearing down and you just need something to pick you up again. There's a verse in Psalm 119, 103 that says, How sweet are thy words to my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Take a bite out of that and get your blood sugar up there and get back on track because if we don't have that, if we are not feeding off of God's word, we are just gonna fall and we're gonna collapse and we're not gonna get done what he wants us to do in our lives. 
We are busy women, we multitask, we try to do everything, but we've got to make sure that we spend time in the word before anything else. And God will make sure that the other stuff falls into place. I'm not always successful at that, but when, when it is a priority in my life, it makes all the difference. You can tell one day when you slip, things are just starting to go into chaos, at least at my house. <laughs> So the truth is, I cannot be the woman God wants me to be without spending time with him. Okay, we have some lies now about marriage. Um, the first one is, I have to have a husband to be happy. This lie is actually a distortion of the truth. We know that God invented marriage and his plan is, for most of us anyways, to marry um, and that there's great joy in a Christ-centered marriage. But Satan wants to tr twist this truth and suggest to women that they cannot be happy without a husband that loves them and meets their every need. Um, now, once most women are married, um, they believe a variation of this lie, and that is that my husband is supposed to make me happy. But the truth is that the purpose of marriage is not to make us happy, but to glorify God. The truth is that no one and nothing can make me happy apart from God. Psalm 62.5 says that we need to wait on God and not insist on what we think we need. He knows our needs far better than we do. The next one we have, oh yeah, this is an important one, I guess. He made it grow. Okay. The next one is, it is my responsibility to change my mate. Um, this is a biggie for those of us who are married. Um, and most of us realize that uh, Either we realize that it's fruitless after the first year or so, or we just keep on trying and don't ever really get there. Um, I think I need to fix my husband, but of course, you know, this takes the focus off myself, and I'm really the only one that I can do anything about. Um, God never really intended for a woman to correct her husband's faults and flaws. But he did, however, give us two very powerful weapons that are much more effective than whining or nagging. And they are a godly life and prayer. Um, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4 talks about um, unbelieving husbands being won over by their wife's godly Christian walk. And I think that can also go for believing husbands. Uh, that they can be won over by their wife's godly walk. Um, and it's a lot harder for, women to, uh, for, for men to resist God's Holy Spirit than to resist a nagging wife. So just let's remember that. The truth is that the pathway to true joy is to relinquish control. It's so hard for us to do, isn't it, to relinquish that control but we need to let God have control. And um, I've had to learn in our 23 years of marriage, um, spe specifically when to shut my mouth. 
that's been a really tough lesson, I think, for women. We are just so very verbal. We need to say everything that's in our brains. And um, a lot of times it's not appropriate. We, sometimes we really need to pray to, to, for God to give us the words to say. But a lot of times we need to pray for God to give us the grace to be quiet. I think you all probably can connect with that. Um, and don't try to manipulate your husband. Husbands don't like to be manipulated. They know. They know. Um, don't make your home a battleground. It'll be a much happier home if you don't make it a battleground. And don't make your bedrooms a battleground. Enough said. Um, the next lie is... If I submit to my husband, I will be miserable. Submission is not a very popular topic in our culture. Um, Satan has told us the lie that submission is narrow, negative, and confining. But submission doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat or that you can never express your opinion. It also doesn't mean that your husband can be harsh with you or that you can never express your opinion. Um, but when we place ourselves under a God-ordained authority, God does protect us. When we step out from under that protection, we open ourselves up to Satan's attacks. The truth is, the greatest freedom I can experience is found through submission to God-ordained authority. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. So it really comes down to uh, whether we're willing to trust God enough to place ourselves under his authority and the human authority that he has put over us. How big do I really believe that God is? Um, and on a personal note, I, I just want to say, I've struggled with this too, um, and I've come to realize that submission is a safe place. The next slide that we have, oh yeah, that's an important one too, I guess. <laughs> it is, very important. The next one is, sometimes divorce is a better option than staying in a bad, bad marriage. This is also a way that our culture has really tried to influence us and it has crept into the church as well. Um, Unfortunately, but I want, I am here to tell you today that God hates divorce. God hates it when marriage vows are broken. Um, there is an older woman who is from our church that uh, shared with me, she's already raised her children, and she shared with me that when she was raising her children, she taught them that divorce should not even be in your vocabulary. Um, the truth is, God's grace is sufficient to enable you to be faithful to your mate and to love and forgive without limit. Um, there's a couple other truths that I want to read to you. No marriage, there is no marriage that God cannot heal. There is no person that God cannot change. And God uses the rough edges of each partner in a marriage to conform the other to the image of Christ. It's a tough one, but it's a truth. Um, Brenda is now going to be, talk, be talking about lies about emotions.
Okay, um, the first slide that I want to talk about is if I feel something, it must be true. Um, I know each one of us has feelings. Um, we can't help it. We're either sad, happy, um, joyful, anxious. Um, they're, they're going to come. Um, and we've had a whole array of feelings, and they come sometimes several a day. Um, but it's the feelings that Satan wants to come in and attach something to it, uh, like a lie. And I find the best way is to give an example. Um, I have five boys, and as you can imagine, sometimes I can get very angry. Um, I think if we're all honest, that can happen. And I can almost lose it. I can feel myself almost losing it. And I might overreact. Like when they were younger, I might be a little bit um, rougher than I should have, spanked a little harder than I should have. Um, and I, I remember just feeling so miserable. And what was the first thing that happened? Satan came in and said, you are just such a terrible mother. Like, look at you. You just lost it on your children. I mean, um, you're just, you, you blew it. You're a failure. Um, but that's when God wants to come in and convict us and teach us. He says in John 16, chapter 8, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he tells me, no, you're not a terrible mom. You may have made a mistake. It's okay to apologize if the, the children understand and learn from it. And, and don't, like, you know, really ask him to help me with that. So I also found a very good verse for me was Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. says, be angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down on your wrath. And I had one more um, example I, I wanted to share. Um, I have a dear friend of mine who uh, struggled for many years with rejection. And at first, this friend didn't even realize this was a struggle that um, this person was having. Um, it was rejection in everything, basically. It was uh, if the spouse wasn't um, paying attention or was tired one night, that was rejection. Um, if somebody didn't talk to them at church, it was rejection. And it was probably many years before finally um, God opened the eyes of this individual and they realized they really have a problem with rejection and it's a bondage. And they, they asked a group of brothers and sisters to pray for this person and um, thankfully this person was freed. Um, so sometimes we may not even recognize that we do have some emotion or something that is uh, keeping us in bondage. So the truth is, my feelings can't always be trusted, and they can sometimes deceive me into believing things that are not true. Um, the next lie is one that's dear to my heart. <laughs> I can't control my emotions. Um, I don't think, I, I didn't realize when I was asked to help with this forum that um, I would have to deal with something that is very emotional. Um, in the time of preparing for this, um, and I think God knew that, and he wanted me to speak today, um, probably just because he knew he was going to put me through this. Um, a few months ago, I noticed a lump on my son's neck, and um, I was concerned about it. When he would move, I would see it, and it just was not going away. And so I went to get um, checked out with the doctor, and the doctor said, well, I just want to do an ultrasound. It's bigger than it should be. We'll just take a look. Um, so we did the ultrasound, and I didn't get a phone call back, which was unusual. I just got a call back that we're referred to a surgeon. So I was like, oh, that's not good. You know, there must be something wrong here. And so um, we went into the appointment, and he said, well, I'd like to do a biopsy on it. Like, 
right on the spot. And, and my son was just so brave. He was just, it was like nothing to him. And I'm like, oh, you know, my emotions are going crazy here. Um, so they, they had to stick a long needle in, do the biopsy, and um, we had to wait two weeks for results. They had to mail the biopsy to Hamilton, um, as our town doesn't do the testing. And it was a real time of, of really, um, my emotions could have taken over. Um, we were looking for cancer. Um, it could have been uh, a bad result. It, I, I, all the scenarios go through your head. I could have been a basket case. I mean, worry, emotions, anxiety, everything was coming. And I had to ask those close to me to really keep us in prayer and, and, and bring us through this time. So finally, we got a phone call back into the office. And um, I went in, and he said, well, the results did show some abnormalities. We want to do a bigger biopsy, which needs to be done in the hospital. So we'll do it on the weekend. But he said the only thing is that it's a lymph node that's sitting right on the nerve for the shoulder. And um, there's good possibility that we might sever or damage that nerve, and he may never be able to lift his arm. And that just did me in. <laughs> I, was, I was fine up to that point. I felt so strong. I felt so in control. And... Um, I remember leaving the doctor's office and going to the store with my son, and I called my mother-in-law just to tell her what had happened, and I just lost it. I was just crying, and in the middle of the grocery store, it was awful, and he's comforting me, and he's telling, Mom, it's going to be okay, um, but he didn't actually realize, we didn't tell him the medical terminology, what that means. We didn't tell him that we're, this is cancer, this is something that's not just, not a big deal, and I I sent out a prayer request to some of our dear, um, we have a prayer circle, and, and to family and friends, and really prayed um, that they would really hold us up in prayer, um, because to guide the surgeon's hand on the following Monday, um, so that the nerve is not affected at all. And um, we went in, and I couldn't even go in. They wanted a parent to go in for the procedure. I was already feeling my emotions just going out of control, and um, so my husband thankfully had the day off, which is really a miracle, because he doesn't get much, many days off. And um, he went in, and, and my son was so strong again, so brave, and they were able to get a really good sample um, this time and by doing just a very small incision, and they did not have to touch the nerve at all. And we were so thankful. We were praising God. We sent out an email to everybody, but we still had a waiting game. And so I'm trying to prepare for this, and I'm trying to prepare for camp, and they said, well, the results, again, two or three weeks till we get them back. So I was expecting results after camp. Um, but I, I knew I had to keep it all together and just, you know, um, I think the prayers really did work. So I ended up, um, uh, we ended up getting a phone call surprisingly earlier than I thought. And they wanted us to come in for results again. And in Canada, if they call you in for results, you oftentimes think, oh no, there's something wrong. If there's nothing wrong, they'll just tell you over the phone. And so I went in and thankfully, we thank God there was nothing. The results were okay. And so I was able to come and be free and uh, I was just, one, th one verse that really um, stuck out to me was, for we know that all things work together for good um, to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. And we were greatly comforted and we held to that truth. So the truth is, I can choose to fix my mind on the truth and let God control my emotions. It is possible. So I'll pass this on. I'm going to talk about a few lies about our circumstances. If my circumstances were different, I would be different. 
And once again, we're blaming somebody else or something else for things that are going on in our lives. Uh, we don't like taking responsibilities for things, so we blame somebody else. If my mother would have been around more when I was growing up, I would have learned how to save money. Let's blame it on my mom. <laughs> if my son wouldn't have used a permanent marker to draw a mural on the wall and the carpet, I wouldn't have had that fit of rage, which probably would have been true, but that's blaming him. <laughs> I shouldn't have had that marker out. If my elder weren't related to everyone in the church except for our family, I'd feel a little bit more a part of things. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell us and control us, we give in to the lie that it's not our fault and we can't change anything unless our circumstances change. And this brings us to the if only excuses that we have. If only I lived closer to my parents. If only we lived farther away. <laughs> if only we didn't have to move. If only we could get out of this neighborhood. If only I were married. If only I weren't married to him. If only we had kids. If only we didn't have so many. If only my husband were more spiritual. If only my husband weren't so involved in church activities. We're always looking for the greener side, aren't we? We cannot continue to compare ourselves to other people and other circumstances and other situations because we don't know what's going on on the other side. My life might seem good to you, but you don't know what's going on with me personally. Your life might seem perfect to me, but I don't know what's going on in your life. We need to believe the truth that I can choose. Sorry. Oh, we're going the wrong way. Hold on. Oh, maybe this is one of his fancy ones that he did twice. God is more concerned about changing me and glorifying himself than about solving my problems. Philippians 4, 11 to 12, we know these verses. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We need to be content where we are and to accept where God has put us instead of trying to change our circumstances when God has put us in a specific spot. I just can't take it anymore. That one Fred has heard more times than he ever wants to hear. I have said this one so many times. There are so much stress, stress and pressure in our lives. Finances can be out of control. The kids can be driving us crazy. The boss is unrealistic. The teenagers are whining. Whatever is going on, we feel like we just can't take anymore. But the truth is we can. Whatever the circumstance, God's grace is sufficient for us. He tells us that and he promises us that. And we have to just get out of our mentality of, of being overwhelmed with our own circumstances and situations and just go back to God and rely on him for this. Um, last night, here's a good example, a very recent example. I, this sentence kept going through my head, this lie. I just can't take it anymore. Stephen was up about every hour last night. First, it was a bad dream. Then it was just screaming for who knows what reason. He couldn't tell me. Then the next hour, his blanket fell off his bed. And so I told him, go put your sleeping bag on the floor. The next hour, he comes in. You have to help me fix my sleeping bag. It's all twisted up. So I had to go in for that. 
Um, then it was, Mommy, my cast itches so bad. Do something. You know, every hour there was something going on, and I thought, of all nights, you know, I'm supposed to be having a good sleep before I do a forum like this, be refreshed, look like I have it all together. And I was so exhausted this morning because I did not get enough sleep. And that's when I was saying over and over in my head, I can't do this. I can't do this. How come Fred is sleeping through this? He didn't hear any of this. <laughs> and I'm the one that has to keep getting up. And I felt like I just couldn't take it anymore. But I could. God gave me the strength to do it. I am tired, yes, but who's not? <laughs> we can do it. The next one. Oh, you know what? Hold on a second. I wanted to just make a comment about this too, um, about I can't take it anymore. My grandma, when she was about 62 years old, she fell and she broke some vertebrae in her back. So she was on bed rest for quite a while, couldn't move, and she was in excruciating pain. You could see it, you could hear it in her voice. And I went to visit her one time and I asked her, I said, Grandma, how are you? And she goes, oh, I'm fine. But how's Johnny Mohan doing? He's the one that I worry about. And I thought, you know, here's Grandma, who's in the same situation with broken vertebrae, laying fat, flat on her back, and she's more worried about somebody else. And that's the kind of attitude that I want to have when I feel like I can't take it anymore. I want to look beyond myself and be able to be there for somebody else who really cannot take it anymore. Um, another example I wanted to share with you, too. A lot of you from Canada know about um, a man from, from Canada, from Ontario. His name is Mark Warland. He was in another city getting ready to have his family move to another city. And he was on his way home when he got the news that his house had caught on fire. And his wife and seven kids were all caught in the fire. They all perished. His wife was pregnant with their eighth. He lost everything and everybody in a blink of an eye. And he wasn't even home to be there. But after that, when he had everything stripped from him, he was on national news. People were interviewing him. They were following the funeral. And it was, it was a really um, publicized event. But every time he had something to say, he always brought the glory back to God. And he said, yes, my arms are empty. But God has a greater meaning for this. He would read scriptures about how um, God takes God took them quickly to be away from the suffering or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the verses were that he used, but it always came back to giving God the glory for the situations that were going on in his life. And if anybody couldn't take it anymore, it was somebody like him. And he kept going back to God and giving him the glory. And the last lie that I want to talk about is the fact that it's all about me. It's all about me. I, like Miriam said, I have my rights. I... I'm the one who's hurting. Why doesn't anybody care what I think? Why don't we do what I do, what I want to do? When we were first married, I believed this lie like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I, I told Fred one day, I still remember this, we were on vacation, and I told him that I felt like I was a little puppy on the end of his leash. And whatever he wanted to do, er, I had to go. <laughs> and if he wanted to go over here, er, I had to go. And I was getting so mad. And I thought, why can't we do what I want to do? 
And I thought, you know what? I was, I was an older single, lived on my own. He was an older single. He was on his own. And when we were trying to mesh to be a pair, it wasn't working because I thought that I had the rights and it was all about me. I was the wife, wasn't I? Wasn't he supposed to make me happy and do what I wanted to do? And I really, really struggled with that because I, I wanted to turn. I wanted to say, now, let him make all those decisions. I don't want to make any decisions anymore. But if you're taking notes, can you please write down this verse? Because this is something that I want you to really think about and chew on and meditate on and memorize and have ingrained in you because this is what it's all about. It is not about me at all. It's all about him. Write down Colossians 1, verse 16. And don't just put it on your notes and then forget about it. Go back and read this. It says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. It's not about us. It's not about our wants and our desires and our lives and our emotions and our sins. It is all about God. We are here because of him. And if it weren't for him, we wouldn't be here. There's a purpose to our lives. There's a purpose to the things that we're struggling with. And it's all about him. here and then hopefully we'll have a, a couple minutes for some comments and questions. Um, we are here to tell you that there is hope in the truth of God's word and his promises. The truth has the power to overcome every single lie. The truth has the power to free us. In John eight thirty two, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The Holy Spirit has the power to work in our hearts and to change us, to change our bondage to freedom, to change the lies to his truth. And um, here is the, uh, th these are just some suggestions of how you can go, go about um, exchanging those lies for the truth of God's word. Identify the area of bondage or sin in your life, and then... Identify the lie at the root of the bondage or behavior. Replace the lie with God's truth. And that's why, like Martha was saying before, it is so important to daily read God's truths. Fill our minds with them. Cry out to God. Ask him to forgive you. Confess to someone you trust and pray together about it. And... We know that the Holy Spirit has the power to change our hearts. And that's the good news of the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, any comments or questions? Thanks for saying that, Yasna, because I did have that in my notes, but I forgot to mention it. So I'm glad that you said that. We can take that verse for any, any time that we're struggling with any lie. Take it into captivity immediately, and it, it won't blow up. <laughs> then, oh. I, 
Can I just make a comment too? I, I also had in my notes, but you know, we can't say everything we want to say. Um, Philippians 4.8, um, think about what's, whatever's true, honest, just, all those good things. That's what we need to fill our minds and our hearts with. Definitely. It's so important for women to have girlfriends because your husband cannot be your girlfriend. Um, and also, I would just encourage each of you, if you have a ladies' Bible study in your church, get involved in it. That is a place where we can learn so much. If you don't have a ladies' Bible study, start one. It's, it's really a wonderful place to share and to learn. Any other comments? Okay, I think we're about two minutes early, but that's good. Some of us have to go pick up our children. So thank you so much for coming.